Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. It is May 19th, 2022, and this is episode 114 of the workshop podcast. Well, my first announcement tonight is that we are now officially streaming in Telegram, and it just opened up and started streaming right here as I was going, so I know it's working. So <laughs> that's the first announcement out of the way, and um, we are tonight, of course, I'm going to share with you my story of how I became a prepper, how I got into preparedness. I had uh, Dan on the show last Sunday evening, and we had just an awesome chat. It was like two old buddies talking that hadn't ever really met in real life before, but we've chatted a lot over the years. And he asked me, you know, how did you get into prepping and preparedness? And I started talking about it. And I was like, you know, I've never really delved into or told this whole story. So in a couple of minutes here, we get the announcements out of the way. We'll share right in. Thank you, Mr. Dixon. So we, we are now officially streaming on seven different destinations. We have YouTube. We have uh, the All Seasons Maintenance Facebook page. We have the Toolman Tim Workshop Facebook page. We have Float. We have Odyssey. We now have the Telegram chat group. So if you haven't joined there yet, drop by and join. We're over 100 users now. And of course, we are live on the Prepper Broadcast Network. Uh, my family over there, I just absolutely love them. Go by, check them out, add them in your podcatcher, and go from there. All right. So the big announcement is tomorrow at noon, 12 noon Mountain Time, I've got Chris Weatherman, Angry American, the author of the Going Home book series, coming to the workshop live. And I am rather excited. We had to move it last week because of an emergency. And I was just chatting. I messaged him during his live stream and they said they're all good to go. Can't wait to see us tomorrow. So that is exciting. Please, please, please get that link out and share it so that everybody can... Uh, know about it, because I think this is going to be really big for the workshop, so thanks, guys. And it's been a crazy week, but it's been a good week. Number two, the Apple podcast feed is finally back up and working. I had some serious help from some community members behind the scenes, uh, quite a bit of time spent with Apple, and I think finally the Apple tech support podcast people finally got whatever the problem was fixed, and everything is back up and running. If you happen to see two podcast feeds with the same name in there for right now, not a big deal, but uh, the original one is working, so we're good. Today's tool had a couple of messages from some different people asking what was the shortwave radio I picked up. So I figured I would put a link to that for you guys just so you could see it. Uh, I can't recommend it yet, but initial thoughts out of the box are it looks pretty good, but there was enough people wanting information on it that I thought I'd share the link. So that is pinned in the comment, the, the pinned comment below in the chat today, and it's also in the description of the podcast. It's the Texan Digital PL330 shortwave radio. $79.98 on Amazon.com right now. Hey, Brian, there's my brother from another mother from Lots Project. And um, Nate asked me earlier what kind of antenna jack it comes with. It has an eighth inch antenna jack, and you can pick a uh, almost like a fishing reel type antenna off Amazon to hook it up. I'm excited about trying it out. Figured I'd share the link so you guys could. It came highly recommended. I think it was um, Iridium 828. Yeah, he's a uh, prepper that I follow. He had a, a link to it and said it worked really well. So I'm going to test it out, let you know. Anyway, enough of that. So how has everyone been? It has been an absolutely insane week. I just about pulled out what little bit of hair I have left fighting with 
getting my Apple podcast up and running again. I know you hate to rely on other people's platforms, and it's a real pain in the ass when you have to, but a significant portion of the audience downloads from there. So, of course, I'm going to use it. And if it breaks, I'm going to try to fix it for you. So about, I don't know, five, six hours ago, it finally came through. And I ah, couldn't be any happier. <laughs> uh, secured a house, an empty house for the bank today. That's pretty exciting. Pretty big job there. Lots of things on the go. I started building the cover for the back deck. Yeah, a little bit of everything. But anyway, so that's what's been going on in my life. So like I said, I had Dan on the other night. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, you need to because he is an inspiration. He's a guy that just, just started chugging away. He doesn't need to have a side hustle, but he wanted to have a side hustle. And it was, yeah, he's just, he inspires the hell out of me. He gets out there, he hauls garbage, he sharpens knives. He just makes his money and does his thing because that's what he likes to do to kind of decompress from his nine to five kind of office job. So he asked me the other night, we were chatting, we kind of got through the, the main meat of the interview. And I think we'd each had a couple of bourbon too many. And it was, it was a great interview. But he asked me, he says, well, I know you're asking the questions, Tim, but I want to ask you one. I said, sure. He said, how did you become a prepper? And that's like one of those things when, you know, it's not quite as good as when somebody asks you, you know, how'd you become a dad or whatever, but you still get pretty excited and you want to share your story. So let's dive in, guys. So I guess the first thing, and, you know, if a lot of you have been around the workshop for a while, a lot of you have probably heard this story, at least on occasion, uh, some of it, but I bet you've never heard everything I'm going to share with you tonight. So first things first, I grew up as an evangelical in an evangelical Protestant Christian home, uh, the Wesleyan Church, if you know about that. And in the 80s, if you guys, if any of you guys, <laughs> first off, if anybody out there grew up in an evangelical home, <laughs> you can definitely let me know in the comments because in the 80s and evangelical churches were an interesting time. There was a, an obsession with the end of the world. So I'm betting, <laughs> no, I'm not betting, I know, where my unhealthy obsession with disaster and end of the world came from. Oh, and we are live on Float Radio tonight, simulcasting. So that is great. Love Studio 8424. So we used to have Wednesday night prayer service, that kind of stuff. We'd go in and hang out. And they got to the point where they were showing movies. And if you guys have never seen them, don't bother. I'm sure they're cheesy now. But all I can tell you is they scared the living shit out of me. They were a bunch of movies called the Thief in the Night movies. And that was the first one. And then basically it was like, hey, if, if, you know, if you're around and you don't agree with the government or you're not a Christian, or if you're a Christian, you're going to have your head chopped off. I mean, shit that a kid in there, like, well, anything under 10 for sure should never have watched. And it literally scared me to death to the point where I was like, every time mom and dad would leave the house, I was thinking, okay, well, are they going to disappear today? Or is the world going to end? And it was just absolutely awful. And um, so I think that's probably where my unhealthy obsession with post-apocalyptic fiction came from. And probably uh, something I never realized until probably 20 years later, but that is probably a bit of the way that I decided to deal with that unhealthy obsession was to do my damnedest to be prepared for any situation. And when I started, you know, and it all, every, everybody, you know, you ask anyone, how'd you become a prepper? How'd you get to be a homesteader? And what do they say gradually and then all at once? It, it, it just sort of happened. I just sort of started getting into it. 
but a couple of events I would say that got me really interested, probably three. I mean, the first one was watching those movies at church when I was a kid. I'm not a church goer now. Uh, you know, think as you will about religion doesn't matter to me, but that was definitely um, the unhealthy side of it that got kind of mixed in. And then the next was, you know, finishing up high school. I graduated in 99 and all the Y2K hype was coming. I remember about three years before that, there was a uh, biology teacher in my high school, had a big article that he cut out of the newspaper. Anybody remember those things? Frank, they were weird, eh? Actually come to your door, some kid would deliver them and you'd leave cash in an envelope and he'd pick it up and the change you get to keep. Anyway, so he had an article about the Y2K bug and how the world was going to end. And I got kind of obsessed with it. Not like crazy, but just keeping an eye on it, kind of nervous. I was a freshman in university. I came home that winter. I was on Christmas break and we were all kind of, I don't know, there was about a 10% of us that was thinking, okay, this is it. We are in trouble. And it, it got me thinking like, you know, even though nothing happened, it was a nothing burger, even though it wasn't because a lot of people did a lot of work to fix it. It really got me thinking like, oh man, it just, yeah, what would have happened? if shit really had hit the fan, what if the planes had fallen? And, and I'm not saying that I prepare for the end of the world. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm building my backstory so you guys can know where it came from. <laughs> Chris Dixon says, we're not, uh, you mean we're not supposed to get the newspaper anymore? They don't even deliver it to this area. So, although we do have a local newspaper, but that's another story. Now, hello, Squishy Rio said, woohoo, T-Man Tim. Thank you. Good to have you. Um, yeah. So Y2K really got me thinking that would have been number two for sure and then you know went back to college and never wholly never really thought a whole lot about it after that because you're too busy doing whatever college guys do <laughs> and um, then I moved home back to my hometown and as soon as I moved into my own apartment I don't know what hit me but the bug to start canning I, I don't know I just I had this desire to be self-sufficient and Another thing, if anybody else would love to come on the show sometime and share their story about how they became a prepper, I'd love to share it for you because it's a pretty cool, interesting scenario and uh, travel that we've all done. So I get there, I get in my own apartment, and I decide uh, I want to go to the U-Pick strawberry farm. Don't know why. I went and picked an entire flat of strawberries, and I was living by myself at the time. And if you guys know what a flat of strawberries are, that's a lot of friggin' strawberries. So I got my grandmother. I said, Nan, do you want to come down and teach me how to make strawberry jam? And I mean, I literally was like 23 and I had no interest in any of that shit for years. And I think she just about fell over. She thought, this is crazy. I can't believe Tim wants to learn how to make strawberry jam. So of course I had no jars. So I asked mom and I said, I think I remember some in the old basement down, down in mom and dad's house. And the old basement is basically a four foot by four foot hole in the cement that was beat through that you can go into like a four foot high basement. And yeah, down underneath this old workbench that dad hadn't used in 20 years was two or three cases of mason jars that were full of potato bugs and cobwebs and nasty, stinky old dirt. And I took them home, washed them all up. And Nan and I, we, we made strawberry jam. It was really cool. And I boiled some. And of course, those old jars, two or three of them ended up cracking. No big deal. And so then I thought, okay, where do I go from here? So I don't even remember where I got the cucumber. Oh no, I would have. I got the cucumbers from Dad's garden. So I started. Uh, I started canning dill pickles. No, uh, sweet mix pickles and mustard pickles. I don't eat a pickle. I don't touch pickles. But I thought it'd be fun to learn. And of course, you do jam. And what do you do next? Pickles. Uh, <laughs> Squishy says uh, 
I want to go huckleberry picking, man. That would be awesome. I've never done huckleberries, but they have Saskatoon berries up here in Alberta. They're okay. They're kind of like a slightly less good version of blueberries, but I hate to say it. Uh, oh, Berticus is here. We're going to shout out to him over in uh, the Element chat from PBN. Nice to have you. Love it. Uh, Chris says, my first canning experience was a worried call to my mom to help me deal with all the up. Oh, <laughs> try that again, Tim. To help me deal with all the you pick strawberries too. I didn't want to throw them out. Absolutely. And that's part of it. You don't want to waste them. And you're like, hey, how cool is this? So I, I had this kind of neat little walk-in closet. And it's where I was keeping my homebrew stuff, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And so I, I just started putting them in there. And I don't know, I might have had, I thought I was set. I had like maybe 15 jars of strawberry jam and 30 jars of pickles. I'm like, well, I can survive the apocalypse now. Little did I know how bad the obsession would get. So from there, a um, little bit later, so this would have been February of 2004, we had the nastiest blizzard that I have seen in my lifetime. Earlier that year, a different part of the province got hit by a hurricane called Hurricane Juan. It was bad. We had sunny skies in my part of the province. But a few months later, we got hit by hurricane force winds. And they named it White Juan. I'm, I'm not so sure uh, whether... <laughs> anyway, I don't know if you'd call it that today, but that was the name of it then. Studio 8424 8, said, uh, Vlasic Kosher Dill Holes. Hmm. That sounds all right. And yeah, so we got 40 inches of snow, 80 mile an hour winds in a day and a half. It was insane. The drifts, I've told this story before, but there's a pizza joint downtown that has an apartment building upstairs and there's a balcony there. The drifts were up over that kind of balcony, like up to the edge and into it. The, the downtown had short little decorative light posts. They were up to that. It was just insane. And that was when something clicked. I don't, I'm not sure, but I was working at Dairy Queen at the time, had a great time. I loved it. So first thing we got to do, you guys will love this. So as soon as the power goes out at Dairy Queen, you have all those glass display freezers and within an hour, that stuff needs to be trashed. So we had, I don't even want to guess if I had to guess 40 or 50 cakes, entire cases of Buster bars, Dilly bars, ice cream sandwiches that all had to go to the dump. And I said to Stan, I said, Stan, can I have some? And he's like, well, don't bother my time. Anyway, what are you going to do with it? The power's out. So I took every ice cream cake and every case of Dilly bars and Buster bars I could back to mom and dad's house. And we threw them in the freezer and we threw some blankets over the freezer and they lasted pretty good. They melted a bit and we were eating <laughs> freezer burnt Dairy Queen ice cream for about the next two years. Dad loved it. I think he was sad when I stopped working at Dairy Queen. So I remember... I was a tea drinker at the time. Now, if you knew me, you'd think that was crazy because I'm a coffee drinker. And I ended up uh, really wanting a cup of tea. The power was out for a couple of days. It was nice. I remember playing Risk with a buddy of mine. And uh, I wanted a cup of tea. So I, I went down to my aunt's house. She had a wood-burning stove in her kitchen. And I got myself a cup of tea. And when I was down there, I said, Nancy, I said, I want to run around and check on some of my coworkers. Do you have anything I can give them? And she said, well, if they want tea, they can come get it. But I got this old box of candles. So I went and I picked up some candles from her and I went across town and I found some of my coworkers and some that had no clue about how to be prepared at all. Give them some candles so at least they could have light and just checked on people. And from that time on, I felt like it was my mission in life to be prepared or to look out for other people the best I could. We're going to try to bring up here. I don't know if I can bring it up, <laughs> but um, Studio 8424 just sent me a giant jar of Lassic pickles. I thought you guys would appreciate that. So yeah, from there, it just kind of grew. It, it's like 
I, I don't want to call it an unhealthy obsession because it's it's a, an obsession that the base root of it was for my family to be taken care of, for me to be taken care of, and hopefully for other people around me to be taken care of so that they don't have to come and ask for things for me. So then right around that point, I met my beautiful wife, Becky. We had a, a just awesome. And we have uh, just a great big bunch of kids and we were poor. I've told you guys this before that abject poverty is a great motivator. She was so good. She could stretch a dollar into 10 and we would, and th this kind of came along and we would shop the sales every time when things were on sale, we'd buy as many as we could afford, which wasn't a whole lot, but it was still nice. The clearance racks, the end of season blowouts, we used to go and we would buy oh, things like rain boots, for instance, when they would go on sale for like a dollar a pair at Walmart at the end of the year when they're clearing them out, we'd buy enough for like the next three or four years for the kids because that's just how she rolled. And the kids always joked about uh, Mama Bear's closet full of toilet paper. But, you know, we were, again, I guess maybe out of fear or anxiety or whatever, we were always just nervous that the kids would we never wanted them to have to go wipe their butt and not have toilet paper. I think to us, that was like the sign that we were in trouble. Never wanted to have to go to the, the food, uh, food bank. We came awfully close a couple times, but never had to. And so we just kept a closet full of toilet paper and a shelf full of laundry soap. And that was kind of, Hey, John Palmer says he's back. I didn't even know you left, man. And so we just kept all of that stuff so that we could make sure our kids were looked after you know, years ago, they called that being prudent or being a normal human being. And now ah, it's a little bit crazy when you got a little extra toilet paper on hand, but <clears throat> wasn't nobody laughing two years ago, were they guys? So that's when we kind of put it into, I guess, I don't know if you could call it the next level or whatever, but that's when we got layer chickens, goats, and meat birds. And we learned a lot. So Becky, she, uh, she got these beautiful gel nails or glue on nails or something for our, our wedding and we were on our honeymoon and it turned out it was time to slaughter our meat birds so out she was out there trying to do it with those nails on and she's like frig this and she pulls them all off and she's out there plucking feathers with me i loved her that was one of my favorite stories we built herself a chicken coop we had eggs everywhere the chickens would run everywhere they would they for some reason they'd love to go down and, and lay their eggs on top of the septic i don't know why they did that but we were just really trying to learn how to grow our own food we had a dodge neon so we would go and we'd pick up a week's worth of groceries we'd have the three kids in the back seat her little dog manny and we'd go and pick up two 50 pound bags of bird seed and get it all in that little dodge neon so we didn't have to make two trips to town but we were we were doing our best you know we were trying to get by we heated the house with wood we uh, used to go to the local sawmills and pick up slab wood. We would cut that up like crazy because it was cheap and we could heat ourselves for very little money. Always loved it. Hey, Rachel Brown, nice to have you. Always good to see you. Probably playing pool tonight, I'm guessing. No, maybe that isn't Friday or Thursday nights, but always good to have you. So yeah, that's when we really get into things. Um, we had to get the goats delivered because we had no way to, to go pick them up. I actually considered putting a full grown goat in the back seat of my Dodge Neon. I can't even imagine. That is some real Beverly Hillbilly shit right there, guys. Didn't do it, thank God. But then we get into we were making cheese. Becky loved making cheese. We used to make like this, um, I can't remember what the name of it is. Uh, nah, anyway, it was like a soft cheese that you just squeezed out into a ball and we'd cut it up. It was really good, kind of like feta. We made uh, homemade goat's milk soap. We made yogurt. We made butter. We made cream. 
and we loved it. It was fun. I said, up until a couple of years ago, I kept a couple of those bars of uh, the homemade goat's milk soap. And then just last year for homeschool, me and the girls made uh, soap out of lye and bacon grease. And it turned out really good right over my shoulder up there uh, where I keep my um, things that go pew, pew. There's also some of that uh, soap in there too. But yeah, we, we loved it. We were just, we were into it. We, I mean, a lot of it came out of the fact that we didn't have two dimes to rub together. So we were just learning. Then we, uh, that, and I mean, along the way, you guys got to know when you're learning preparedness, there are some things that you just screw up royally. <laughs> well, um, I tried my hand at water glass, water glassing eggs. I did a whole bucket of them in like that slack lime or whatever. And it was, uh, <laughs> well, it was good. Except when we, uh, we we finally had to move, we moved to a house that was a little more affordable for us, and I completely forgot the bucket behind. So I know I don't know how they ever turned out. <laughs> Always thought about that for years later. Uh, then we get into a lot of water bath canning, anything we could can that uh, we were doing uh, tomato sauce and homemade chili sauce. Uh, we tried our hand at pickled green beans, but nobody really liked that. We just we were trying everything. We grew. That was the first year we finally grew a garden. Had pretty good success with it. You know, you learned every year. Sometimes you, you had good luck with potatoes. Sometimes you had bad luck with potatoes. But we just, we tried everything we could. And we did everything we could to get by. Uh, Squishy says, my wife wants to take home a goat and a baby cow in the back of the Dodge Caravan. Well, we drove a Dodge Caravan for a lot of years. And uh, I'm not going to say it's not possible. I, I would probably do that. Absolutely. Especially if you could, if there was a way to make sure you could secure the goat's uh, horns, if it has horns, uh, and the baby cow, no problem at all. Just line the whole thing with uh, um, tarps. I actually hauled a dead deer behind uh, back home in my grain caravan one time. I just made sure I put a tarp down, and I still managed to get blood on the roof of the van. Uh, Becky wasn't real impressed on that. Kind of, If I ever got pulled over, it would have looked like a murder scene in the back, but hey, that's country living, right? So I really got into reading self-reliant books, self-reliance books at that time. And there was a lot. Um, I was a big, do you guys remember magazines? That was also uh, something that was a thing until they're not, although they're still around. They're just harder to find. But uh, yeah, I read, um, I guys, I've talked about Back to the Basics book before. Love that. I used to borrow that from the library or from my aunt Carolyn, uh, my aunt Janie let me borrow hers for a while. And it was, uh, I love that book. I got a Putting It Up book for canning. That was absolutely my favorite. And, um, oh, and the Firefox books, if you guys are, Fo sorry, Firefox, <laughs> Foxfire books, those were great. The best one I found there was, it was kind of a mix between story and uh, like, it was, a, it was a homebrewing book, basically how the old timers made wine. I love that. And there was just, oh, uh, Possum Living. If you guys have ever read that book, you got to look that up. That was just awesome. Uh, what else? Oh, and the joy of homebrew. So I haven't even talked about that, but at that time as well, I thought about maybe starting YouTube wasn't even a thing at that time, but a website called the apartment brewer, because again, I was broke as a joke, but I like to drink beer and I made some and it was horrible, but we drank it <laughs> and it, yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And then I got into, we'll talk about making the wine after a little bit. But yeah, and then magazines. Um, I used to read Mother Earth News a ton, Backwoods Home. And then the one I was the most fond of, I, we, we were given a subscription for our wedding and it was called the Rural Delivery. And it's just a, a black and white front cover with some red writing on it. And it was uh, exclusively on the East Coast. It was a pretty cool little book, real local. And um, 
Rob says over in Telegram, sure, probably testing them again. I might have missed uh, that portion of it, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just wanted to get him out there so you guys could see. I'm glad Telegram's working. But yeah, so the, the reading was great. And I was just digging into it. And then, uh, yeah, that was the time we moved. I started building the cold cellar. Again, a big, massive failure because I never finished it. All, all I did was build a little frame of cement in the basement and put the anchor bolts in it. And that's as far as I got because my lazy ass didn't finish it. But at the same time, I was trying to learn, you know, I get these urges where I got to learn something. So I built my own apple mincer. I took a piece of maple wood from my fire pile and I give it to a guy who had a lathe. He turned it for me and then I drove screws all the way around the whole barrel of the wood, stainless steel screws. And then I took a, <laughs> a motor off an old washing machine, a belt. I built a hopper out of like laminated plywood and it was pretty cool. And then I was uh, in the process. Well, I did make a one of them squishers that would actually push the, the juice out. I used an old bottle jack and a bunch of other stuff and I loved it. That was fun. So it was like, you know, I was always on the go trying to learn these new skills and a lot of them I learn and then they're just up here. You know, they're always there in the background just in case I need them, but I don't tend to stick with a lot of those things. <laughs> I found a good supplier for cider back East that I absolutely loved. Kind of missed that cider. It was delicious. Uh, but yeah, just always on the go trying to learn new things. And that's kind of where it kept, you know, kept going and kept building from. Um, so this, at this point, we'd moved way out into the woods and we were trying to take the whole homesteading thing a lot more serious, but the property we lived on was full of rocks and on a hill and didn't drain very well when it was muddy or when it would rain. We had one summer where the slugs completely decimated our entire garden. I just couldn't get it dry. We hauled in topsoil. We hauled in manure. I remember one time, I again, I did all this with my grand caravan. I had a little trailer I bought from somebody for like a hundred bucks. I'm sure it wasn't really road worthy. And I would go up and I would pick up soil with it. And I'd go and I'd pick up um, manure with it. And I guess I hit it with my snow plow in the wintertime, but I broke the latch off of the trailer and I didn't have the money to repair it. So I'm like, well, I'm only going up the road. <laughs> so I left the trailer. I set it right on the ball. So the entire latch system was gone. The receiver was still there, but I just let it float. <laughs> I was like, it's a little heavy on the front. It should stay on. And then when Buddy uh, loaded the topsoil onto my trailer, as soon as he did, the whole thing went boom, just like that. So I had to be very careful driving home. Let's just put it that way. But I was always trying to, to do what I could to get by with as little as I could, you know? Uh, the garden one year was great, but the bugs out there were enough to pick you up and carry off. We had to wear full bug jackets and pants just to go out and work in the garden. It was friggin' miserable. Hated it. Couldn't stand it. So anyway, but from there, I, I got hit by another kind of prepping passion, and that was collating or collecting family recipes. Because first off, my... Uh, my grandmother, my kid's great-grandmother, had died in 1990. So she'd been gone almost 20 years at this point. And my other grandmother, she wasn't getting any younger. And my aunt, you know, she wasn't young either. And they all had family favorite recipes that I wanted to make sure that I could pass down to my kids, which I have since done so far. And it is awesome. And yeah, Martinson family says, sounds like a party. <laughs> hey, Charlie Cole, we got a great group in here. Hey, Josh Sloan, how are you? Always love seeing PA Prepper in here. Good to see you. 
so yeah, we, we get into it and okay. So what I did, and this was really neat. And I, I think back on this really fondly and I am so glad I did this, but cause my grandmother, she turns a hundred this year in August and she hasn't been with it for probably 10 years, but I went to her house and I said, Nan, I'm going to buy everything for seafood chowder. You need to teach me how to make your seafood chowder. And she walked me through it and I wrote the recipe down as we went and I have that. And now I can make it for my family. I can make it for my my kids and they can teach their kids and that food legacy is there and then my aunt nancy now you guys aren't going to know what this is but you've probably heard me talk about it before but every year at christmas she would make what's called raw pie and that is an acadian dish that's like you take potatoes you grate them in a cheese grater you drain you squeeze all the water out with cheesecloth or something else then you reconstitute the potatoes with chicken broth you add chicken and you bake it as a pie and it is to die for you can do it with chicken you can do it with rabbit you can do it with beef deer whatever you want it's yeah oh so good even lobster clams clams is good too so i went and um that was more about learning how to do it the recipe was simple but i'd never done it before and so she showed me and now i've made it i made it again this year at christmas for mom and dad it was just awesome and then the one that was the hardest for me to track down, and it was really cool. Oh, yeah. So Rachel Rachel Brown says, uh, too bad you didn't know about hugo culture with a wet soil. Yeah, I was. See, that's the thing. We all, we, we work along and all this knowledge is out there. And, and I'm going to, I'll get to this a little down the road, but we were like, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, a, um, like the lone gunman, really. We were by ourselves. We we didn't know anyone else who was into preparedness. We didn't know anyone else who was into homesteading. So the only thing we could learn, I mean, even YouTube wasn't quite a thing at this point, or it was just, just becoming a thing. So we were learning all this just through websites and books and experimentation. And if we'd uh, found a community online that we could have been a part of earlier on, we might have maybe eliminated some of these mistakes or been able to fix things a little bit, you know? So... Yeah, anyway, the, the one I really wanted was my grandmother Glenna's bread recipe. She died when I was nine years old. I remembered it, but it was, oh, wow, Jaggy Thistle's in here. Good morning, brother. Hope all is well over in uh, the across the pond in Scotland too, my brother. Good to see you. It's early there for him. So I started com contacting all of my extended family looking for her recipe because she'd been gone, like I said, almost 20 years at that point. And finally, my aunt said, I think... My cousin had it. So I messaged her and yep, she did. She sent me Nan's uh, white bread recipe. But in the meantime, I got her brown bread recipe from another aunt and my um, and her donut recipe from yet another aunt. And that aunt has since passed away. And I'm just so glad I did. I wrote it down. I've taught my girls how to make it. It was just it was like a family heirloom that I just felt compelled to, to figure out. And now I make it all the time. And well, not at this point, but I used to make it all the time for mom and dad and they loved it. And yeah, absolutely. And Jaggy says, yes, you are right, my friend. Granny's recipes are always the best. That is 100% true, my friend. And we got to hold on to those things because if we lose them, it's like, it's like preparedness skills. If we don't keep doing them, if we don't teach the next generation, they're going to be gone. I mean, I had to work really hard to find a lot of this shit out. And I hope that a lot of what I teach and share online is there for generations in some form or another maybe it'll be virtual reality who knows i don't know but it would be really good if you know other people can learn from that and hopefully it's not quite as a difficult journey as mine was and then at that point of course again i always say it but we we were broke we had to make everything from scratch i remember sitting down and calculating 
if it would be cheaper to make our own granola bars or buy the granola bars from Walmart. And it turned out to be cheaper to make our own. So we are making everything from scratch. Bread, of course. We learned how to make homemade tortillas. Uh, granola bars were really cool. The kids loved that. And we had a well-stocked pantry. A couple things I forgot to put in my notes, but at the same time, we started tapping maple trees. And I made maple syrup, except I didn't have an outdoor fire to do it on. So I boiled the shit out of it for like a day and a half on my electric range. I'm sure it cost me like $45 for the half pint of syrup I got. Then we started collecting uh, ocean water. We were um, uh, basically boiling that down, trying to extract the sea salt. That was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with that. Charlie says, my granny made a pecan pie without all the syrup. I wish I'd written that down before she passed. And you know, I'd heard that from a lot of people in my family. And I thought, yeah, I got to do this. I'm glad I did. I was just lucky I was able to get the recipe though, because like I said, she'd been gone for a long time. And uh, Jaggy says, it's because they had to cook with limited items, especially during World War II and depression. It had to taste good. We, we are losing their skills. Ain't that the truth, my friend? There was a, what is it? I always saw the recipe for Ritz cracker pie that supposedly tastes like apple pie. I've never tried it. Anybody out there has, I think it'd be pretty cool. But I love some of those old fashioned recipes. Old fashioned ginger donuts. Oh, those are so good. Oh, we got all kinds of people. Oh, Berticus is over here now. Hey, Berticus, this is Albert. He said, uh, this is cool. You have it working on so many platforms. Great to have. And Rachel says, why? Yeah, I know, Rachel. Why are the best family recipes so not keto? Well, what I can tell you is bacon and eggs is damn well keto. And that was probably a family staple for a long time. So that's something. But you're right. Uh, it does kind of suck that a lot of those uh, staples from, you know, the, the mid-century there, although we're probably getting on to almost 100 years ago now, were so non-keto friendly. But they're good for a treat, and it's worth learning and sharing those skills for sure. Uh, Charlie Cole says, mock apple pie. Yeah, I think that was uh, one of the things that come out of the Depression as well. And I can't remember her name right now. If somebody can remind me, throw it in the comments. But there, there was a video... Uh, channel on YouTube quite a few years ago, and it was an old lady sharing her depression era recipes, and it was awesome. She's long since passed away, but the channel's just a wealth of information. And right, right as soon as uh, COVID started, the guy, her nephew, I think, that was putting it together, went back through his archives and found a whole bunch of other footage and put out two or three more videos. It was just, it was awesome. She was great. But yeah, so we got into, like I said, making all our own stuff. And at that point, we we got um, a chance. It was really cool. We got to buy a great big old house with a lot of really nice farmable land right on the Bay of Fundy. You could see the Atlantic Ocean from our window. Uh, you know, you could hear it at night. We were probably, I don't know what it would be, quarter of a mile. It was, yeah, really close and it was really nice. So we bought it. We took the chance and we bought it. And of course, as you guys know the story, we were digging ourselves into a, a pretty big hole at that time. Didn't realize it, but you know what? I always say you can't uh, can't cry over spilled milk and mistakes made in the past. But along this entire journey, I was learning and learning and learning. So we'll talk about what we did down there. And Jaggy says, and when the old recipes, or is it not as many e, e numbers and other yeah other preservatives? Everything was fresh. No super, supermarkets, no freezers. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, and I mean it was a type of stuff that, uh, you know, they were smart. They knew how the things that would last, they would cook them and leave them out. And the things that wouldn't last, they would uh, eat them up right away. Or they kept that uh, never-ending pot of stew. 
So when we moved down Digby Neck, like I said, that house was 130 years old at the time. We planted fruit trees. We planted gardens. We planted, that's it. So Charlie Cole uh, gets the prize tonight. Depression era or depression cooking with Clara. She was just a, a, a really neat soul. She, you could tell she was old even when she was doing the videos. But yeah, you guys need to check out depression cooking with Clara if you have time. It's a just a great channel and it's it's still there, I'm sure. So we yeah, we started planting uh, berry bushes. Uh, we, we had two great big 50 by 50 gardens, uh, layer birds, meat birds, turkeys. Man, we did a lot. One year they showed up. They got shipped to us and it got too hot and they they weren't properly ventilated and all the birds had gotten just soaked with sweat and we had like 80 percent of them die the company ended up replacing them for us but we learned a lot and we went through a pile of feed back in the day and we had birds oh and i built a homemade incubator one time uh, i built it out of plywood plexiglass a thermostat from a hot water heater a computer fan some wire mesh and a hundred watt light bulb and it worked really really well js yes you are right there um townsend and son 18th century cooking i love that channel i don't watch it all the time but man it's cool and it, it don't he is one of them channels you know you can watch a channel that has a million subscribers and you mention it to somebody else and they're like i don't know who that is but it almost seems like everybody you ever mention to knows townsend i don't yeah i don't think there's ever been somebody i've talked to that i'm like yeah i watch this channel and they're not like i don't know what that is he's just he has an appeal to everyone i love the dugout canoe that they made and then they burnt it oh that was the work they put into it is just so cool so at that point we decided it was time to to go a little bigger <laughs> so we got into pigs and the day we were heading up to pick up our pigs we had, uh, what did we have? A Dodge Grand Caravan and a lady across the street. I was parked at my sister's house. She backed into our vehicle and I don't want to say total it, but made it undrivable. So our insurance company gave us a rental and we went up <laughs> and we put a tarp down in the back of the rental. I'm, I don't think we did any damage. And we put the, the little wiener pigs right in there in a box. <laughs> And brought them home with us in a rental car so we lived rather uh dangerously for a little bit but the pigs were great we built a pen i was really proud of that pen because it got to the point where um man yeah it they never got out i, I did really well they never escaped i was quite proud of that i built a water out of a 55 gallon drum and an old cow waterer that you'd find in a barn rebuilt that and it i had to get like three hoses to fill it it was way back there but the pigs were so good we ended up so this is, you know, again, preparedness, homesteading. We raised them on green bins or, uh, so sorry, compost bins from restaurants. So I would go around Saturday and Sunday nights and I would clean out the Chinese food restaurants, the pizza places. Uh, it was pretty hard to get anything from the grocery stores, but I basically fed them off that all summer. We butchered our own, slaughtered our own, and we learned a ton from that. It was so much fun. Um, so Jaggy says, with the price of electricity and gas, it will soon be outdoor cooking on a fire, which is a whole different type of cooking. <laughs> Again, my buddy, I hope you're not right, but I have my suspicions that you might be. So in this time, we were still lone wolves learning this ourselves, and we never really knew that there was other people out there doing it. And so we were making our own mistakes and we were going along. But, you know, I think I knew that I was a prepper at that point. I, I know we knew we were homesteaders, and that was really cool. So we started, uh, I started fencing off some property. Dad taught me how to drive posts. 
we bought some um, inexpensive barbed wire and we basically uh, brought a bush hog in, got him to bush hog our backfield. It was probably too small, but we had plans at that point of getting ourselves a small dairy cow. And yeah, so right around that point, I was working from home selling computer software because I got burnout and I was looking for things to listen to because I had lots of free time in the evenings. I was working kind of like that four o'clock till two in the morning shift and it was pretty quiet. So I was, I, I discovered at that point podcasts, <laughs> 2013, not exactly sure of the month, but I do know the year was 2013. And I came across a tiny little podcast called anybody know what it was? <laughs> the survival podcast a crazy guy named Jack Spearco. And it, it wasn't quite as Volvo days, but it was, I think he was in Arizona at that point. And I was like, holy shit, I have found my people. Or at least at that point, I just knew of him and uh, knew what he was teaching. I'm like, finally, I feel like I found somebody that gets it, that knows what we're doing. And so I really, you know, I started binging a lot of his stuff and it was, it was quite inspiring at the time. And so then we got into making homemade wine. That was a lot of fun. We had, yeah, it was great. I made rhubarb wine. Oh my God. Peach wine. I used to have a buddy I worked with that would let me go and pick up his dropped peaches for free. Yeah. The Jetta days, John Palmer says, yeah, I think I come in just after that. And uh, I think I said Arizona. I meant to say Arkansas. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, we start making wine. So peach wine, strawberry wine, rhubarb wine, blackberry wine, raspberry wine, strawberry wine all of it. And it all turned out pretty damn good. And I made it with, you know, a lot of it I just made with table sugar, bread yeast, and whatever water and whatever I had. And man, it was, yeah, it was good. And I'd been doing a lot of um, home brewing at the time, just kind of perfecting it, learning it. And then the bug bit me and I decided it was time to make some homemade fuel. So I went to a guy's house one day, I stopped off to do a delivery for work. And he's like, hey, you want to try some moonshine? And kind of knew what moonshine was i thought sure and i tried it and it was pretty damn good so i thought i should be able to make this and so i spent 400 hours and 400 dollars and i built a still out of a like a uh, like a crock pot, not a crock pot like a, a little boiling pot that you would like cook stew in got a rubber gasket made for it got some copper pipe and i just ended up making one batch it was pretty good it was really strong and I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Before that, I tried the freezing, freeze distill method, and I had no luck with that if you guys have ever tried it. So anyway, I built it, tried it, and that was where it stopped. It was, it was fun. I, I got to get back into it. I know, uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, my brother, a little south of me here, <laughs> Mr. Dixon, I think he's tried making fuel at, on occasion too. So I got to get back into it, give it a shot. And uh, Jaggy says, just went and checked. Uh, it's 287 a liter per gas here. Holy cow. Canadian. Right now, I'm $1.70, which is right around $5 US a gallon. Oh, and so that makes Jaggy, what, 60% higher than me, 70%? I'm sorry, my friend. So yeah, we made our own fuel. We started drying. Uh, I love navy beans. So we grew navy beans from the store-bought stuff. Then we dried them ourselves. And uh, we started making our own laundry soap, which was pretty cool. I enjoyed doing that. Learned how to make our own uh, washing soda. And yeah, we'd save our old jugs, remake that. So that was really neat. And if anybody's listening and they're like, hey, Tim did this. How do I do this? Well, this is just kind of a story about what I did. So if you want to know how I did it, 
just send me a message and I will definitely uh, maybe do a Saturday episode about some of these things that you might be interested in because we've done it all. Uh, you know, we don't do all of it anymore, but it was, uh, yeah, pretty good. Chris says, I have five gallons of fuel in storage right now. The dishwasher loves peach flavored fuel. Huh. <laughs> it took me just a second to get that joke. I must be slow tonight. That was really good, Chris. I was trying to figure out why you would pour perfectly good moon, I mean fuel, into a dishwasher to clean it out, and then it hit me. So, and then now you're going to get hit if your missus hears that joke, Chris. So right at that point, I get into guns. So dad used to be a hunter, and he had all the family guns stashed away up in the attic. And if you guys know um, the history of Canada and a certain registry and all of that, well, at that point, it had all passed. And so dad had all the family heirlooms and I thought, oh, this is great. And I got his old, I got his old 12 gauge. I got his 20 gauge. I got his 30, 30. And uh, along with it came the oldest 12 gauge shells I had ever seen. And some really, really old 30 gauge, uh, sorry, 30, 30 rifle shells. And, uh, you know, with the, the, the lead in the end, that was like kind of crooked. I don't know if it had melted or what, but. Oh, I did fire some. I still have some. I'm going to hang on to them for as long as I live at this point. And then I went and bought my very first gun. I think I paid a guy 85 bucks for it. And it was a 22 with the most crooked sights on it you'll ever find. But I was damn proud of that. And I still have it. It's somewhere in my collection. And uh, it was, yeah, I don't know. It was something special about buying my first gun. I thought, all right, now I can get into hunting. Uh Jaggy says he bets the dishes come out sparkling and Chris says we call it loading the dishwasher. That is hilarious. If you're coming up my way, Mr. Dixon, I mean, sorry, I know you are coming. When you come my way, you should bring some of that uh, peach fuel and I'm sure we could uh, do a barter for some because I would love to have some of that on hand. So yeah, that we got into shooting. Um, oh, we just had so much fun. I started learning how to deer hunt. In Nova Scotia, it was totally legal to bait deer because there's so few of them. We'd go and buy apples. We'd go and buy carrots. And quite often, I'd go buy a 50-pound bag of carrots for like eight bucks because they were their seconds from the carrot factory. <laughs> and instead of feeding them to the deer, I'd bring them home, chop them up, and can them. Because right at that time, we'd bought ourselves a pressure canner. So if you guys are ever looking at pressure canning, it was a lot of fun. We pressure canned everything. Green beans, carrots, corn, potatoes fish. We'd go and catch mackerel right off the wharf. We'd bring them back and, and uh, can them. That was fun. I enjoyed that. And yeah, if, if you're nervous or, you know, anxious about learning how to pressure can, it's really not that bad. And speaking of which, I need to get my pressure canner back. I lent it to a lady. I met very, <laughs> I met her for like five minutes at the hardware store one day. I ended up knowing her husband, but I, uh, I lent it to her because she needed one and I wasn't using it at the time. So I need to get that back before I forget. But it was a lot of fun. And, you know, at that time, I've told the story before, but we had dug ourselves into a pretty deep hole of debt. And so before too much longer, we ended up kind of having to leave a lot of this behind. But it, uh, yeah, it was, we just, we were learning and learning and learning. And so from right there, that is about the point that Becky and I said, we need to move. Because, well, you know, right? And it, it it sucked. I won't lie. And I, I'm being absolutely transparent with you guys that, you know, sometimes you make mistakes in your past and you have to move on from them and figure things out. And we did. And we left a, a pretty cool homestead behind at that point. But what we took with us was the experience and the skills that we had learned. And I was able to eventually 
transition that into um, kind of a more urban lifestyle. I wouldn't call where we live urban, but it's, uh, you know, rural urban. It's a small town. And so we moved across country. And you know what happened? And uh, maybe this happens to other people too, but for just about a year moving to Alberta, I completely lived a non-prepared lifestyle. I felt like a fraud, a phony, at least when I stopped and thought about it. I could, I, I could care less about being a prepper, being prepared. I didn't buy anything extra. We didn't stock anything extra. We just lived our life because we moved to Alberta and we were going to live our life, damn it. But I couldn't escape it because that bug had bit me and it stuck with me. So I'm not even sure exactly how it started, probably when I was driving for the oil patch. But guess what happened? I started listening to Jack again. I remember I was out in the garage and I said, you know what? I need to start listening to some stuff out there. And the first thing that came along was a TSP podcast. And I, I loved it. It was awesome. Started listening and I'm like, I know what I need to do. <laughs> so one of the first things I did was I got my ham radio license because I wanted to do that for a lot of years, never get into it. And I had a lot more time kind of. So I studied and I called up one day and the guy's name was Bill Till. I, I can't imagine he's still alive, but he was the instructor. He was like 95 at that time. And I called him and he's like, yeah, he says, are you married? I thought, well, that's an odd question. He said, you come on up, you bring your wife, come to my house for supper, and then I'll test you afterwards. He didn't know me from anything. And um, so it was a pretty cool experience. I passed my test. He got my license to me and I freaked around with that for about a year afterwards, just doing two meter because I wasn't uh, I wasn't proactive enough to make sure I got my license so that I could do um, you know worldwide communications. Still got that on the back burner. Uh, Jaggy says the mistakes we make we learn from and do our best not to repeat them. Anyone who hasn't made mistakes is not worth listening to. Thank you, my friend. That means a lot, and hopefully we learn from them too. Rachel says, everyone I talk to is positive. All pressure canners explode. I, I just got to ask, does anyone actually know anybody that had a pressure canner explode unless they were making a bomb or something? I've never met someone that's actually had a pressure canner explode. It just seems like, you know, how every town has an urban legend or whatever. It seems, I, I'm sure it's happened and I'm sure there's somebody out there that does. But for all the talk of pressure canners exploding, I haven't seen or heard of one yet. So... Jaggy said he got his license four years ago and still waiting for my first QSO. Yeah, that was basically me. We I made a couple contacts on the two meter with the repeater, and that was it. I bought all the HF gear. I think that's what it's called. If Nate's listening, he'll let me know I'm wrong because <laughs> I love him. And um, yeah, so we ended up. I I, I got um you know um long distance radio. I got an antenna tuner. I got an antenna. I just haven't quite got to the point where I'm ready to go back and take my test again, because I really do want to get into it. So that's why I picked up my shortwave radio the other day. So at that point we went real heavy again, and our girls had grown up a fair bit in those couple of years. And we started building probably the biggest food pantry we had. And we had the bomb shelter closet in the basement. The girls got a kick out of that because that's where we put our Long-term storage. We started vacuum sealing again. Uh, I bought a vacuum sealer. Actually, I was quite proud of that. A few years before we moved out west, I saved up my, they were like air miles that you could earn from the work from home job. And I ended up buying one for free with my Amazon gift cards. And I still have it and it still works. But we, we had decided we were going to live in town. So we changed our preparedness lifestyle. So we started making contacts. I found the Hutterites and started buying produce in bulk from them so I could can it. I made contacts with the local butchers and I start buying meat from them. We buy a side of cow every year 
that's our form of preparedness. Like I said, I got my hand my ham license and I bought uh, more guns. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I acquired a generator and then had said generator stolen from me. That was a sad day when I went out to the garage and seen where my generator was sitting on the shelf and all that was left was the four circles in the dust where the feet were sitting. Somebody thought that uh, they wanted it more than me, but that was totally on me because my dumbass left my garage door open all night with a light on in the garage. So it was just like, I don't know, it was like crack for a crackhead. They walk them by and they could almost smell that damn generator in there. So as you can imagine, I'm quite a bit more um, careful with my generators now. <laughs> so then uh, that brings us to where we live today. And of course, at some point, about three years ago, I decided it was time for me to start sharing what I had done. And a big part of being a prepper was building your own business. And so I thought, hey, I'll start sharing that. But it didn't take me too long to realize that my real passion, of course, was preparedness and prepping. And my whole channel came along. And uh, hey, there is a good buddy of mine. And I've mentioned him. he pops in sometimes and I just love him. He is a radio man and he is just an awesome guy. Ed Shaw, he says, life choices. When I was trying to decide whether or not I should go back to school, my cousin told me, sometimes you got to turn your life upside down to put it back on its tracks. Best advice ever. That is awesome, Ed. I, I had a good buddy that always used to say, you got to make a mess to fix a mess. I think this is a much more eloquent way of saying it. That's awesome. I love having you in here, my friend. It's just great. He was uh, one of my first bosses at the Boys and Girls Club years ago. And when I got the job at the library, he called me Conan the librarian. And uh, I remember trying to uh, sneak, a, <laughs> sneak a drink of his beer at the uh, social one time when I was way too young to do that, but it was an empty glass. So I, got, I didn't get in trouble. But yeah, he's a good friend that we've kept up all these years, and I was real proud of him when he decided to go back to school. So it, it's great to have these friends all over the all over the place. So from there, I uh, you guys saw I built that big what I call prepper pantry. I turned my what, six by six, eight by eight um, area that they used to store water in. You have a cistern inside. Turn that into a prepper pantry, so we have a big stocked pantry now. Ah, you know, keep building my supplies. I put solar on the garage. I'm hopefully this year, and I like, you know, I like having goals. I don't know about you guys, but to me, having goals is, is, is a big reason that a person loves life. I was just talking to my mom tonight, and I said, you know, as soon as fall sets in, I start setting goals and start making uh, dreams for next summer. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out here, and I'm going to start tearing up this sod. I'm going to build this deck. I'm going to fix this garage. I'm going to learn cement and all of that, and so... A big part of, I think, you know, being prepared and, and being a prepper, and I know that word is so scary to some people, but it really isn't. It's just all about looking after you and your family and your community when good things or bad things happen, right? And it's the type of thing that's supposed to make your life better, even if nothing bad ever happens. And honestly, that's the most likely outcome. Jaggy says... Uh, urban prepper, I would love to live out in the sticks, living in a city of half a million population with limited storage, and you have to be inventive and prepare a bit differently than country folks. Absolutely. So I got a shout out. There is a lady called the Apartment Prepper on Instagram, and I reached out to her a little while ago, and in a couple of months, she's going to be coming on the show. We're booked up quite a ways out at this point, but that was something I knew. There was a lot of people out there that you know, probably wanted to learn how to prep in small spaces. And she's an expert on it. She's uh, rather humble and says how she's not an expert. But I said, literally, your name is the apartment prepper. 
If you don't know how to prep in an apartment, you have problem. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so I'm excited to bring her on because she's going to come on and talk about prepping in small spaces. So that'll be really cool. So hopefully, Jaggy, um, yeah, it'll be a good episode. And if you got questions or tips to send along, send them to me. But from there, that's kind of where it brings me. You know, who would have thought back in 2013? So we're going to go on 10 years from now. Who would have thought that eight years later, I'd be part of the Expert Council on the Survival Podcast? I would have, uh, you know, had my own content creation area, although I, I think I had that. I needed a creative outlet for a long time. At one time, I wanted to start a channel called The Frugal Father, which was basically, you know, teaching my how-to skills on just, you know, the easiest, cheapest ways. I thought about doing a website called The uh, um, the Apartment Brewer, or the you know, Apartment uh, Home Brewing. I always kind of had that. I even tried, a, uh, what was it, a few years back. I called it five-minute movie reviews. And it was fun, but I didn't get any traction with it, and I gave it up. I always knew. Sometimes you just have to wait till the time's right. And so, yeah, like I said, how would you have known that, um, how would I have known? I'd be on the Survival Podcast. I'd be part of the Prepper Broadcast Network, that I would have went to Nicole Sauce's um, spring workshop and been a featured speaker and that I'm going to be a speaker at um, the <laughs> got to thicken the <laughs> so who would have known I'm going to go to North Carolina and speak at the the what, the world or the North American's largest outdoor prepper expo like I'm, I'm just tickled pink and who would have known who would have known that <sighs> back in 2003 2004 buying myself a flat of strawberries would bring me to North Carolina at the world's largest prep expo because I fucking well didn't know that. And how cool is it? Hey, uh, Martinson family says you got to thicken the Canadian accent, bro. <laughs> Just let me talk to my parents for a little while or they're coming out to visit. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. We're, we're flying them out finally since all this COVID shit's finally gone. We're flying them out this summer. They're going to come out for two weeks and we are going to, yeah, I'm sure my accent will thicken up quite a bit. Uh, JS says, my alter ego is secondhand prepper. I'm a frugal son of a bitch. And everybody tells stories about Josh and how he's able to find some really cool cast iron and things like that. Letty Lou, thank you. She says, my movie reviews are the best. I appreciate that. And you know what? That's what's kind of cool. I am so glad you guys embraced that because it really allows me to get that, I don't know, that movie itch out of me without having to create a whole nother YouTube channel. And that's the beauty of long form content. You know, if somebody logs in and they see your podcast and they're like, oh, movies, nah, I'm not going to listen to that, whatever, you know, but I, yeah, I love it. And I appreciate that you guys support me on that because that's just a little passion and I like to get it out there and it, it gives me something to talk about. And I'm glad you listen. And uh, <laughs> Jaggy says, oh, brother, you're great. He says, it's all the hard work you put in that brings you to where you are today. I'm very proud of you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so Ed says, uh, forget Canadian accent. Wait till you get a load of his Nova Scotian accent. Yes, absolutely. Uh, no, no dude about it. We're going to go out in a boat and we're going to have some fun. And uh, normally what happens is it's not just the accent. I don't know if I've shared this story with you before, but it was really funny. My brother-in-law, Barrett, he's from Alberta. And he came out one day, uh, well, for a couple of weeks and visit us in Nova Scotia. And he had, uh, me and my buddy Matthew, my next door neighbor, we decided to take him down to these to the islands. It's a hiking trail. We had a riot. Anyway, so we drove all, you know, all the way down, all the way back. It was basically a whole day's trip. 
he sat in the back seat and we came when we got home his wife my sister-in-law well soon to be wife it was my sister-in-law she said did you have fun barrett he says i had the time of my life but he said i couldn't understand a goddamn word tim or matt said because our accent gets thick and then the speed goes faster. So, you know, I, I think I talk fairly quick as it is, but you get me around my East Coasters and all of a sudden it's just like this. I'm talking and talking and talking. You can't catch a word in Edwise. And then all of a sudden you start, oh yeah, it's bad. But yeah, he had a blast. He had a great time, but he, uh, yeah, he couldn't understand a goddamn word we said. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> Rachel says we can feed off each other's movie nerdness. Absolutely. And uh, John Palmer says we know you need all the help you can. Ain't that the friggin' truth? Man, I can tell you. Ask Becky. She'll tell you. And uh, <laughs> Jaggy says, wait till you come over the pond. I will make you go home with a Scottish accent. And the Scotias have uh, uh, an accent compared to our... Oh, yes. Greenkeeper Willie accent we have here. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I always love ground, groundskeeper Willie. But yeah, it was... I don't know. I, I, I kind of hope you guys enjoyed this. I, I like... I like sharing story. Sometimes it's cool to have a more laid back, chill episode. It's just fun telling our stories. It, it, it gives us somewhere we start, somewhere we are. And I guess it allowed me to see how far I came too, which was kind of a, a really, really neat journey. Letty Lou says, that's what everyone says about Ireland. Give him a few drinks or after he's spoken with his sisters, it's horrible. <laughs> oh, that's what my dad said from Ireland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, guys, do you have any? If you got any questions, you got any comments, throw them up here on the live stream. I, I enjoy it as far as that goes. Um, so, where are we heading this week? Well, geez, the week's almost over, but the biggest episode of the week is coming up tomorrow. I don't know if you guys have heard me talk about this, <laughs> but we've got Angry American, that's his pen name, Chris Weatherman, the author of the 10 book Going Home series. Uh, Oh, wait, I said 10 book series. It's now an 11 book series with a 12th one coming up. I am so friggin' stoked. That's tomorrow noon mountain time. Uh, what will that be? 2 p.m. for all you guys on the East Coast. Hey, there. Hey, oh, friggin' James is on there. Yeah, so James is the CEO of the Purple Broadcast Network, and he had to come up here and say, you've become a valuable asset for us at PBN. Thank you, my friend. And uh, James, give me, you guys heard me talk about the VR headset. Well, my wife might have ordered me one that James recommended for Father's Day. So I'm going to do some gun training in VR, and I'll let you know how well that works. But thank you, James. I consider you a friend, uh, so thank you. Uh, Letty says, I'm so damn excited about tomorrow. I am too. This is the biggest interview I've ever done. I promise I won't fangirl out too much. Nah, I've chatted with him a little bit in the back channels, but I am, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be good for the channel. I just can't wait to get him on here and pick his, pick his brain about the book we're all reading. I mean, the book we literally started the book club about. So that's that's really cool. We've got some more. Uh, yeah, we got a, a bunch more exciting guests coming up. I've got a couple more in the pipeline. I've got the um, Casual Preppers podcast guys coming on here, Cam and Colby. I am stoked about that one too. So Jaggy's got a question for us. Let's check this out. It says, what are your prepping deficiencies that you need to work on? And what is the things everyone seems to forget? Rachel Brown says, what time again? 12 noon mountain, 2 p.m. on the East Coast where most everybody lives. So I got to say, for Jaggy, he wants to know what the prep, what are your prepping def deficiencies are. So this is one of those things. Prepping's funny, right? Because in 2003, 2004, when I had, whatever, four dozen jars of jam and pickles, I thought I was prepped. I thought I, 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 thought I could outlast an ice age. I thought I was good, right? 
So the thing is, a lot of people get lost in how much do I need? What do I need? And I think I think one of the big keys is to, to prep in levels. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it doesn't get overwhelming. It, it's easy... It's easy to get focused on one. Like everybody has a thing they like. Like who doesn't love guns and ammo, or who doesn't love meat, or who you know what I mean. Like, or it's easy to get um, dry goods. Like I used to go and buy big bags of rice or whatever, you know that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know if there's one specific area that a person would have a deficiency in, but I think I guess what I would call a deficiency is how a lot of people focus on one area to the detriment of everything else. You know, they might get a generator, but they forget fuel storage. Or they might <laughs> they might uh, store all the fuel, but they forget to upkeep the generator. But I would say that if there's one area, and maybe this is just my bias coming in, but I honestly think that home maintenance is an area that a lot of people don't consider uh, prepping worthy. And of course, you're like, oh yeah, that's nice, Tim, because you talk about repairedness and you're a handyman. Well, you know what? All of these skills, I never even talked about all the skills I learned along the way. But if we really believe in self-reliance and independence and being able to look after ourselves, I would say having a good, a good supply of home repair gear. And I've talked about that a lot before, but I would say that would definitely be one that everybody seems to forget. Now, what would be an area? Oh, here we go. Uh, James brought up a bunch. Thank you, buddy. Cooking oil, salt, trash bags, and pet food. I would absolutely say, yes, 100%. Let's talk about that. I've been looking for shelf-stable fats, and I found a couple that are similar. I can't remember what it's called. It's uh, from India, and it, yeah, fats are a really, really, really hard way to get long-term storage. Trash bags, you are right. You can't have enough. We've got a, an Amazon subscription for them, and I need to add as many more as I can because the trash bags are great. Uh, our buddy Dave Jones there, the uh, nuclear, biological, and chemical expert, he he literally said, you know, if you need to go out and radioactive fallout, that trash bags will at least offer you some protection so that you can brush off afterwards. So James says, shelf-stable fats, ghee, bacon grease, Crisco. Yes. So, okay, guys, I, I know I bet you about being in Canada. If I'm not, I'm pretty sure that you guys can still get in the States Crisco in a metal can. I can't find it anywhere. We have it in cans, but then them stupid paper foil line cans like the old uh, old coffee cans used to be, you know? Oh, yeah. You guys both said ghee. I think that's what it was. Yeah. So I'm going to try that. I'm going to leave some on a shelf for quite a while. We'll see how it works. I'm going to try cooking with it as well. But yeah, um, here's one for salt. If you guys are looking for a really cheap way to buy a lot of salt, go to your local farm supply place. I went there, um, well, I used to work at one, and we literally had Sifto table salt, like 50-pound bags for like, at the time, it was like $8. And I mean, how long could 50 pounds worth of salt last year? Or a couple of bags and use them for barter. I don't know. It would be absolutely great. Squishy says, beans and rice and no seasoning. That's another area that a lot of people miss. Hey, is the seasonings? Because, yeah, it's great to have all the shelf-stable food, but that was, yeah, that was an area that Becky and I started focusing on recently. So we discovered the joy of the Costco Business Center, where you can literally buy containers of seasoning salt that's bigger than my head. Uh, you, you can buy all of the different seasonings and spices, and we just started buying all of our, um, yeah, like everything that we could, and we've been buying it up, stuff that'll last us a long time. We got something coming in here from studio. 
Uh, yeah, so um, Studio 8424 says you need as much as will get you through till when your supply is re-delivered. And if you no longer expect deliveries, be stocking as much as you can. That's a very good point. And um, also, I guess uh, seeds are an area that a lot of people don't think about. But again, what good are seeds if you've never gardened before? So this is the, like, what do they say? The second best time to grow a tree is today. And of course, if you haven't started before, start gardening, learn how to garden. You know, you always have as much time as you have. So anything you do now will put you ahead of anybody else. I missed a couple others here. Sorry, guys. You guys got a lot of good stuff tonight. Uh, Rachel says, after Hurricane Sandy, somebody I know bought a generator and a crap load of fuel. And then about a year and a half later, asked me if the fuel would still, oh dear God, still be good. So they hadn't started the generator and the fuel, you know, would the fuel still be good? Maybe, maybe not. But what I can tell you is they never ran the goddamn generator even once. So try to get that started in a pinch, right? And I used to be guilty of that too. So I'm not, you know, what do they say? You point one finger at somebody and you got three pointing back at you. I had a perfectly good generator. I could never get to run because I didn't do the proper maintenance on it. Rachel says farm stores also carry 50 pound bags of molasses too. Yes, they do. I forgot about that. That's really good. And, um, oats you can get oats there as well see there's that uh maritime accent for you and um yeah you can get what is there oats and wheat a few others and if you want if you want to get even more into the bulk talk to the farmers a lot of times if they bought like an entire silo worth of stuff you can go pick some up from them for almost nothing make a trade with them or uh you know the old biblical what was it the uh the biblical principle of gleaning the fields if you live where i live i could literally literally go and get all the canola I ever wanted from or canola or wheat or I don't know what all the other ones are but everything that's left behind in the fields after the combines go through because they do nothing with it and if you know a farmer go and talk to him uh oh wow I didn't know this one hey snail creek I gotta send you a message because I gotta have I'm gonna have you on the show remember that guys we've been chatting while well, he'd been chatting with the missus but Redmond salt 50 pounds 16 dollars at the feed store that is a great tip thank you man that is great. Uh, Letty says, my dad loves seaweed. He's always snacking on it. So we called that DULS, D-U-L-S-E in Nova Scotia. And every year in the summer, when the seaweed would come in, people would go down and pick it off the rocks or scoop it off the water. And you would see entire driveways or entire unused pavement roads where people would put all the seaweed out. They'd let it dry. They'd flip it over. And then they would bag it and sell it for two, three, four dollars. And it was pretty good. It wasn't bad, actually. Um, and I saw Jaggy. Sorry, I missed it. He said, uh, seaweed, add a little plus. Uh, it's a food everyone turns their nose up at. I don't mind it. I kind of enjoy it. The 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 chewiness of it like is like chewing on a rubber band. If you ever used to do that in high school? Uh, I mean, elementary school. Jesus, you imagine chewing on an elastic band in high school. But yeah, it is a little rubbery, but the flavor is great. It, it tastes like the ocean. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, James says, I have a, uh, a mixed new gas. I have mixed new gas with year old gas before and got the generator started. Absolutely. And you guys have heard me talk many times about PRI-G. It's literally the best fuel stabilizer on the market. It's the only fuel stabilizer that claims you can add it to old gas and it will rejuvenate it. And also don't forget uh, magic in a can seafoam because if you have neglected your small engines and you're able to at least get it to turn over, sometimes with a combination of starter fluid and then, of course, putting your seafoam in the gas tank will clear out the carburetor 
and it'll you'll have it purring like a kitten. That stuff is awesome. And um, let's see. Josh says, uh, embarrassed. I'm going to replace my first mower carburetor. New skill for me. Don't be embarrassed. That's an incredible skill to learn that not that I bet you not 1% of 1% of the population know. I had to learn that out of, again, abject poverty. I had a weed whipper and I needed to get it working. I had no idea what to do. I talked to Terry, the guy at Home Hardware I worked with. He's like, you need to buy a carburetor kit. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I'll get then. I went on eBay and bought one for like six bucks and I learned how to change diaphragms, the little uh, needle valve, the springs, the screens, everything. But it's not easy. But you, you can do it, Josh. I believe in you. And if you run into any trouble, you got my phone number. You can text me or you can uh, email me because I'll, I'll help you. I, I love hearing people do that. And Jaggy says, I'm in my mid-50s and I st <laughs> still chew on a rubber band uh, and get sent to weave baskets in a fancy room that's all padded. Yeah. I was just, I, I don't know why I equate chewing on rubber bands with licking windows, but doesn't that just kind of seem like it goes hand in hand? I'm not sure. Uh, oh, here we go. Oh, we got all kinds of great uh, things tonight. Rachel Brown says, I buy hydrogen peroxide, isopro isopropyl alcohol, and other things at by the gallon at the feed stores. Yes, and some places, for some of that stuff, you need to have friends who are farmers, but a lot of times farmers will just be like, if you're paying for it, yeah, you can put it on my account, or not on my account, but you can use my land location is what we have to do up here. But yeah, that that's great. I get a lot of that stuff. I, I got a gallon of isopropyl alcohol from a move out. Somebody was they left it behind in their rental. So I, I got that out in the garage. I might not use it for a while, but but it's there. Martinson says, I haven't changed a mower carb since high school. Might as well learn uh, learn new. <laughs> it's not bad. It really isn't. The, the hardest thing, well, the first thing you need to do is just take those two long screws out. Don't unhook the fuel line from the carburetor because most times, for whatever reason, they're, they're tiny anyway, and they put that damn model number on the inside of the carburetor. So you got to take it apart, or at least take it out to get the model number to know what you need to order for gaskets. So take it out, but do not, you can just loosen the screws because they're long, so you can pull it out. Don't unhook the gas lines because you don't want to screw that up or make a mess. So just pull it out. Sometimes you can get your phone in there, take a picture, but once you have the model number, then you can find the gaskets or the new carburetor. Then do it after that. Uh, JS says, uh, might be a good side hustle skill when finding non-working equipment. Yes, um, Chris Dixon, he's always in and out because he's doing things. He picks up stuff um, from the side of the road, from, I, I would assume, from bulk pickup day, whatever it is. He fixes them up and sells them. He, he had recently a, what was it, a, a treadmill? I can't remember what it was, or a, a vibrator. Yeah, I think it was a vibrator. <laughs> Boy, anybody listening to that is going to wonder. You remember about 10, 15 years ago when all the rage was you could buy those platforms that you stood on and it supposedly shook the weight out of you? Well, he had one of those that he ended up turning into a rock tumbler or something like that. But yeah, that is a great skill. And you're diverting waste from the landfill. You're making money. Hey, there's my daughter. Man, every one of my kids have been in here like crazy. Uh, Liv, just, just as we're talking about that, my daughter Liv shows up. Hey, babe, it's nice to have you. Squishy says, that's a good one, Rachel. I always try to have a good stock on that. My wife says it's too much, but hey, it helped at the beginning of 2020. Ain't that the truth? And uh, Jaggy says, sounds like a Toolman Tim demonstration video to make there. How to change the mower carb. Yeah, I could do that. I um, I have a plan of doing some generator maintenance videos. I've got, I got to reorder some parts, but um, yeah, I'm going to do that. So yeah, I could definitely 
I'll tear an old one apart and just show you how to do it. It's not that hard. It just takes time. Uh, having a can of brake clean on hand is huge. John Palmer says he uses the battery operated stuff. I'm guessing that's about uh, the <laughs> about the um, stand-on vibrating pad that we were talking about earlier because that's what she said. But yeah, um, I, I'm sure I could do a carburetor video. I got so many videos in the kind of in the back of my mind going on right now. Oh yeah, sodium bicarbonate, 50 pounds baking soda, feed mill. I never thought of that. I got to check and see if our local place has those. What, um, Snail Creek, if you're uh, listening, what do they use that for at the feed mill? Or why do they sell it in 50-pound bags? Is it just because it's something that they have? Uh, and don't forget, guys, like at the hardware store, you can get lime. A hydrated lime is great for so much stuff, but just don't mix that up with regular lime. But it's really handy to have on hand. And you can buy it dirt cheap. And if you need lye, you can go to the plumbing section and pick that up. Uh, oh, John Palmer says he hates small gas engines. I totally get it. I've almost switched entirely, <laughs> almost entirely to, to battery-powered landscaping gear. I just love it. We, we run the two DeWalt battery-powered mowers. They work awesome. I got two weed. Oh, well, I had two weed whippers till I burnt one up yesterday. So I seem to burn up those cheap $99 20-volt ones about once a year. But I was... Um, I put that heavier head on it. I'm sure it didn't do it any favors, but I was mowing up against, you know, some people have those big tractor tires that they grow um, plants in. Well, it was real thick, wet grass, and I was just flying through it. And all of a sudden I look down and there's just smoke coming up because the motor is down in the head of the weed whipper. So it's hooped. But I did go back to my 60 volt. I love that thing anyway. I just ordered an edger. So you guys might think, wow, you're into landscaping and you've never owned an edger. I have a hand edger, you know, one of them stupid things you step on, but I, uh, I wanted, um, uh, like a, an electric air, you know, a powered edger. So the end of the head goes on to my DeWalt weed whipper and I'm going to be able to edge up. I really got it for the new 12 unit I look after because I want that place looking really sharp. So I'm going to go around and do all the edges and I'm excited. It'll, it'll fit on pretty good. Um, yes, John says, uh, I'm sure we're talking about lime here is great for water glassing, fresh eggs. Um, Brian Gardner says, I'm a pharmacist, but always tinker and learned how to replace clean carbs on mowers and do what others said, fix up the ones I find. Give it an hour of time. If you can't, then out it goes. That's that's pretty close, Brian, to what I, that's what I follow too. Um, if you can get it fixed really quick, keep it, but don't spend a shit ton of time on it because the problem is, what's your time worth, right? It, it absolutely, you know, what? If you're spending so much time into it, I don't mind spending an hour on something. I mean, I can spend an hour surfing YouTube or Facebook real quick. So an hour is nothing. But yeah, if you get way into it, it's not worth it. But there, there's a lot of, I've probably thrown so many small engine things to the dump that I could have fixed up, but I just haven't taken the initiative recently to do it. But yeah, there are a lot of uh, being able to rebuild. Uh, Snail Creek says it helps keep bloating down in livestock. Thank you, sir. I just learned something new again. Seems like every time I talk to him, I learn something new. That's awesome. Jaggy says, it's amazing. All the plans we have whirling around my podcasts have been in the planning stages for the last 10 years. Have all the gear, but still not the guts to do it. It's okay, my friend. And like Homestead Glamour Girl, nice to have you. I always love seeing you in here. Your name just makes me smile. I don't know why, but I love it. And uh, she says, do it, Jaggy. And I agree, my friend. If you need encouragement, you can call me. You can text me. And uh, I'll help you along. But whatever you need to do, uh, you know, it's just 
it's cool. I, I talked to my mom or I chatted with my mom today. She hasn't, she hasn't flown since she was maybe 10 or 12. And my dad has never been outside of Nova Scotia or New Brunswick. He's never flown. He's never taken a train. So we're going to bring them out here. But mom, mom, mom's nervous, you know, and I, I understand that. And so I'm really proud of her that she's going to take that step and fly because you can never, you're never too old to try something new, do something new, learn something new. Absolutely. Dan says, I wish that I could say hello in the live stream. Hey, this is great. I love having the live stream up here and running so people can watch it. And yeah, Dan, Dan, my buddy from Sunday night, uh, he is in here. This whole episode was inspired by you, my friend. So we just give him a shout out. And <laughs> John Palmer says, you can do it all night long. And if anybody saw my LFTN presentation, I hope you know what that's about. You just made my night, John. Martinson family says, have them jump in tandem. But yeah, there's just, there's so many, I don't know. The community is what's great. Hey, I love the sharing. I love, I love hearing about what other people, what other people can do, what other people are doing. Like, I mean, Josh, you know, he said he's in his fifties and he's learning how to change a carburetor. Like that is awesome. We're never, never too old. Right guys. We, <laughs> the only, the only time is when we're not on the right side of the sod. And at that point, <laughs> carburetor don't matter to us, but I'm serious. Always, always learn something new. One of the things I'm most excited about this summer is I am going to run my own sidewalks or my own walkways, pathways here at the house. And I'm going to learn, damn it, how to do it. I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to learn how to do the reinforcing wire mesh, how to do the forms, how to pour the concrete. It's all going to be new, but I am excited as hell. I'm going to get a bobcat, a skid steer in. And I learned a little bit last year or earlier this year but I'm going to do it. I'm going to have fun with it. I just, I don't know. It's fun. This, this project that my buddy Ken Ash from, um, oh my God, uh, Liberty pod. Oh my, sorry, Ken. I just butchered the name of your podcast. You're going to constructive Liberty. There we are. Jesus. What's wrong with me tonight? He's been giving me all kinds of back channel information and guidance on my covered deck. That's the biggest outdoor project I've ever built. I'm excited about it. Uh, JS says sodium bicarbonate also has been used in dairy cattle diets at the beginning of lactation. Huh? That, uh, baking soda has got to be the product of 10,000 uses. I just, I, it's unreal. And you guys might know this, but I'll share this with you now. So, you know, but a lot of times if you look up making homemade laundry soap, so, you know, whether it's liquid or powder, it is, uh, <laughs> Dan says he's still hung over from Sunday, buddy. I'm not letting you drink again. So if, if you're ever looking at making homemade laundry soap or that kind of thing, a lot of times it's going to say you need to add washing soda to it. Now, washing soda, maybe in the States it's available, but in Canada it's really hard to find. But if you take baking soda and you put it on a tray and you bake it in the oven, I cannot remember the length of time at this, at this time, but basically it releases, I want to say it's the carbon dioxide that's trapped in it and it converts regular baking soda into what is called washing soda. And then you have cheap old baking soda turned into washing soda, and then you can add it to your homemade laundry soap. So just something, if you never tried it, try it. It's kind of cool. And Jaggy says, technology we have today, like YouTube and the World Wide Web, is the best learning source. In the 70s and 80s, our internet was the grandparents and their knowledge. <laughs> Funny story. How about the Encyclopedia Britannica? So in grade three right? Mrs. Janae's class. I do not know why I remember this, but I'm even going to call this poor girl out by name because I'm sure she'll never listen to it. But a girl named Heather 
her family had encyclopedias and we had to pick a, I don't even remember what year it was. I can't, anyway, it doesn't matter. So we had to pick a country and we had to do a report on it. We all came in and did our reports and she did her report on West Germany. However, the Berlin Wall had fallen about a year before and Germany was reunited. And the teacher was like, you know, she was all disappointed that she did a project on a country that didn't exist anymore. And, you know, it might sound funny to the kids today, but she literally pulled it out of her encyclopedias because that was there. And it was funny. It's funny how that times have changed. I, when I started working at the library in 1997, they had just brought in what they called the Encompass system. And it was the first online. I, I actually threw away uh, when we moved into the new building, we, I threw away all of our old card uh, card catalog thing. We kept the, the, the wooden frame of it, but we got rid of the actual cards and they'd been used for who knows how long. And then all of a sudden the internet comes along and I remember I was just, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but our library was the first place in my town to have a T1 line and people used to be able to come in and do distance education. And that seemed like an absolutely insane idea in 1997. I remember I had a un, unlimited access to a black and white laser printer back then. And we had to save everything on a, a 1.44 megabyte floppy disk. How crazy is that? And that was 25 years ago. I was teaching people how to use this information superhighway thing. Because I remember my grandfather, we went to visit him one day. And he said, did you hear about the new highway they're building? And I said, no, Gramps, I didn't. He says, it's some kind of super info highway. And I was like, oh, buddy. Yeah, he's a good man, but he, yeah, anyway, so it was pretty neat. I remember teaching a lot of senior citizens and, and now, I mean, yeah, I, who, who was I talking to the other day that were saying that uh, senior citizens were getting into gaming like crazy. I don't even remember where I had that conversation, but it was crazy. And Dan says the Dewey Decimal System, you are right, my friend. <laughs> I, I, that was cool. I still remember that, uh, oh man, 921 is biographies, I believe. Anyway, I, I knew the Dewey Decimal in and out. I was actually actually applied to be a librarian technician. So I would have been a full-fledged Conan the librarian if I'd have went away to college for it. I applied for the library tech course, got accepted. I applied to the entrepreneurship course, got accepted, and decided uh, to go do a Bachelor of Arts in Comparative Religion instead. Something highly, highly usable. A skill that translated very well to my evening manager job at Dairy Queen, I can promise you that. But I did learn a lot from it. I learned how to public speak. I learned how to learn. I think that was probably the best part of university was learning how to learn. It was awesome. Ha! Ed, oh my God, yes. Oh guys, I got to talk about this too. Ed Shaw says, I remember writing the grant applications to get the computers and security system for the Boys and Girls Club. I remember that. And then soon after the computer showed up, I got to set them up. Do you guys remember Age of Empires? Because we had these computers that had CD-ROMs and I used to go in after hours and I would sit and play Age of Empires for hours and we used to get these i don't even think we had the internet on them but we uh used to get these magazines that would have like 30 second clips of music videos on. oh it was just the, the the advent of the internet was so great oh jaggy says commodore 64 was spectacular and now a phone has more computing power than the apollo mission it's crazy how much forward we jumped in the last 30 years i can't stop talking about it but i did the damn vr headset the other day at the theater and it was just like a whole new experience. I was like a kid at Christmas. I, I just wanted more. I'm sure I can see how it get addictive. But you see how far we've come. I don't know if I've ever told this story. I Maybe I have. But I remember when I was a kid, dad said, 
I need to show you something. And this was at the IGA. So this was in the late 80s. And he said, uh, come upstairs. I'm going to place the order. I said, okay. So he took it and he ran it through something that I was like, what are you doing? You shredding it or photocopying it? He goes, nope, that's a fax machine. I said, what the hell is a fax machine? He said, well, I just took the order on this piece of paper. I run it through here and it sends it through the phone lines to Halifax and they get the order. And I looked at him and I said, there's no way that it'll ever get any better than that. Boy, how did I know? How wrong was I? <laughs> uh, John Power says, I, oh, I'm hooked on Pondix. I don't know what that is, but if you, yeah, fill me in there. That's pretty cool. Uh, Oregon Trail. I didn't play Oregon Trail, but I played a shit ton of Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? We used to have that on the little Apple computers in my elementary school. I love that. And uh, Jaggy says, two lines and a dot was Atari Tennis that kept us amused for hours. Yes, I loved Freeway on the Atari 2600. If you guys remember that, it was a little chicken that had to get across the highway. I loved it so much that when I went to New York City the first time, I went to Greenwich Village, found a an, uh, vintage video game store before there was such a thing. And I got a, a copy of it for like five bucks and I brought it back to my buddy. Uh, Martinson family says, my cell has more power than my high school in grade nine. Do you guys remember those TI-85 or TI-81 calculators? Well, a good buddy of mine, Mike, he just took a, a huge step in life. Uh, it didn't work out for him, and he I think he was kind of disappointed, but I was so proud of him for taking the huge step that he took at his age. He's We were born on the exact same day, so it's kind of cool, and he tried something, and I'm glad because the worst thing you can ever do is not try something. Anyway, he is a friggin' genius, and he programmed a NASCAR game on his TI-81. It was incredible. It was so cool. I remember sitting there watching how, anyway, I don't even know how he did it, but <laughs> Edge says, hours of wrestling games with you and Clyde. Yep. And I'm trying to think of which ones it would have been. I'm sure it was probably Royal Rumble on the Super Nintendo would probably have been one of the big ones. Because I don't know if PlayStation was out yet or not. It might have been. Because at maybe toward the end, Clyde used to bring his PlayStation over. Uh, <laughs> Jaggy says, uh, the good old days. Now we sound like our grandpappy when they talked about getting a wireless radio. Well, my dad, they got their first TV to watch the moon landing. So I thought that was pretty cool. And when I, when I grew up... Uh, yeah. When I was a little kid, my parents had a 13-inch black and white TV in their living room. And eventually they went and bought a 19-inch used color television from Home Hardware and give me the black and white one. So I got to play my Nintendo on a black and white TV. My kids, uh, I, don't, I think it was Alice, or maybe it was Gracie, I can't remember. And she's like, when did things start being in color? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She said, you know, the good old days when things were black and white. And, of course, they thought that the world was black and white, I guess. I thought that was really sweet. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, I, I don't know, it's fun. And and you know what I love? I love seeing all the new technology. I love embracing it. I said I rented a car the other day that had that adaptive cruise control. That's one of the best things. I can't wait till the car will drive me around. I mean, I, I love driving, but for highway driving, yeah, it'll be great. All right, guys, we've been an hour and a half. And I really, really, really appreciate this. I love this after conversation. Um, the people, you know, we, 90 minutes is usually a pretty damn good episode. And I'm sure that uh, the listeners in the audio will get a ton of value from this. So thank you, guys. This was absolutely wonderful tonight. And one more here. Jaggy says, just show them the old rotary telephone and ask them how to use it. Gracie one day handed me the phone and said, I don't understand what that noise is. And it was beep, beep. 
and she had never heard a busy signal before and she finally heard it i'm like oh my god i'm getting old right so <laughs> anyway guys i tell you this every single week but i absolutely appreciate that you come and hang out with me it is the highlight of my week i just love it and uh two things number one this was on love you too live thanks for coming in babe so number one prepper broadcast network if you're not supporting them james the entire family that i'm a part of over there are incredible people so add them in your podcatchers. if you get value from it go by and become a membership and my buddy carl ad brown follows me up tomorrow on the prepper broadcast network he has the strange truth where he talks about christianity and news stories that most other people don't want to talk about and of course we cannot forget i gotta plug it one more time so guys i will share the link tomorrow morning and if you guys are around help me be workshop ninjas and get that shared out because we are going to get a huge crowd in here so bring your questions and we will chat with chris weatherman otherwise known as the angry american and we're going to have a hell of a time tomorrow so bring your bourbon bring your questions and guys thanks ed shaw as always stay happy stay healthy and have a hell of a good week